Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. So welcome to our Catechism class. We're looking at Lord's Day 21c, question 54, and we've been looking at the doctrine of the Christian Church. In our last class, we learned that the Church is built by Christ and built upon Christ. The Church is Christ's body, and it is Christ's bride. It is universal, and yet it is local. It is invisible, and yet it is visible. It is militant, and yet it is triumphant. The Church of Jesus Christ is a truly wonderful thing, a thing of great beauty. But how does it relate to me, personally? Our catechist is always concerned to give us practical answers, as well as theology. So he asks in question 54, What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? And the correct reply is, I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. It's that last sentence that concerns us in this lesson. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata podcast. Now our catechist talks about my being forever a living member of Christ's church the church that is his body. But how? Remember that we learned that the invisible church is that body of born-again believers who by grace through faith alone are part of the body of Christ, and only God himself knows who they are and how many they are. The church that we see meeting week by week may not be the same as the invisible church, for Jesus taught us that the visible church will have tares growing among the wheat. Our Puritan forefathers longed for a pure church, yet even John Owen in the Savoy Declaration confessed, The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of sin. Nevertheless, Christ always hath had, and ever shall have, a visible kingdom in this world, to the end thereof of such as believe in him and make profession of his name. You know, one of the tricks often pulled upon gullible ecumenists by radio interviewers here is to ask them, do you think the Roman Catholic Church is a Christian church? That stumps them. The stammering ecumenical clergyman, of course, will want to reply, Oh, yes, but surprisingly a good number of evangelicals balk at this question too. 
No one wants to be unpopular, after all. Calvin had a good definition of a church. Calvin called a church a place where the word of God is proclaimed and where the sacraments are correctly administered and where church discipline is preserved. The invisible church, the true body of Christ on earth, includes all Christians everywhere, those who are truly being saved from every age and every nation and every ethnicity. Its membership is not through signing a membership application form, nor through a vote of members. Its membership is those who have been ordained by God to be His, from before the foundation of the world, who are there in that church because of Christ's atoning death for them on the cross, and who have, in response to his love, repented of their sins and trusted only in him. On the last day, that church will be complete, and every single member of it will be in heaven, and none will be lost, and they will be in the presence of God for ever and ever. And furthermore, unlike the visible church, it is already united, for all true believers are within it. Savoy 26 and 1, to quote again from John Owen's work, the Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spice, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. But now that I know that I am a member of that true church, our catechist introduces two more important and relevant considerations. And the first is that my membership of that church does not end. We belong to Christ for all of eternity. I know that there are church members who will fall away, who will drop out, who will be lost, but members of Christ's true church will persevere to the end and will ultimately be saved. They are his. No one will pluck them out of his hand. The second important statement is that I am a living member of that church. Now why does the catechism put so much emphasis on this? Well, there are no dead people in Christ's church. We have new life in Christ, and that life is eternal life. So even those believers who have gone from this world, those believers who are in in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, they are with the Lord, and they, like us, are awaiting the day of the general resurrection of the dead, when we shall be reunited with one another. They are living. They are dwelling in heaven and awaiting the new heaven and the new earth. It is reputed that the late Reverend Dr. Ian Paisley at one time from his pulpit made the announcement that one day his congregation would hear of his death, but that they shouldn't believe it, because on that day Ian Paisley will be more alive than he ever was. We are living members of the church, even here in this world, but we will be continually living in it for all of eternity. So let's summarise. All true Christians are de facto members of the universal invisible church, the body of Christ on earth. And that church is visible on earth in the form of groups of Christians meeting together in bodies of believers that we call churches. 
churches that are imperfect in many ways. And formal membership of the visible church is usually an identification with a local assembly or a denomination, usually a group with distinctive doctrines and practices. Now that brings me to a question. If a true Christian is, by virtue of the new birth, already a member of the one true church, does that Christian need to be a member of a local church? What are the arguments for and against church membership? Well, there are a number of arguments made demonstrating why a Christian should should associate with a local church, and those are very well rehearsed. I'm going to give you some of them just now. First of all, because of the doctrine of church discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, we read about a system of church discipline. An example of how disputes between Christians are to be resolved, culminating in a meeting of the church. Now, the argument is that such a system requires a formal church membership. Otherwise, who would form this final so-called court of the church? Can you imagine how justice could be perverted in that assembly if the exact membership of that church meeting had not already been defined? Paul later builds on this teaching of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 1, he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? So he's telling Christians that in disputed matters they are not to ask the secular courts to adjudicate, but rather they are to go to the church court and to find justice there. That requires a membership. The second usual reason is given is because there really is such a thing as excommunication. There really is a possibility of a formal public disfellowshipping of an individual. Sometimes it is really necessary to put someone out of fellowship with other Christians, particularly in the case of serious doctrinal error or heresy or immoral behaviour. Paul says again in 1 Corinthians, But now I have written unto you, not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one not to eat. The church is responsible for judging its own members. If the church decides that a wicked or a moral person is guilty, then that person is to be put outside the church. And that seems to me to be a formal removal and excommunication, which would have implied that the person being excommunicated was already a formal member. So there's the first two reasons why we should join a local church. Because of the doctrine of church discipline. Because there really is such a thing as excommunication. And thirdly, to facilitate Christian submission to church elders. Christians are required in the Bible to submit to those who rule over them. The book of Hebrews mentions this on several occasions. Hebrews, for example, Hebrews 13 and verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Look up also Hebrews 13 and 17 and Hebrews 13 and 24. 
If we're going to submit ourselves to elders who rule over us, then that implies a formal consent having been, having been given to such an arrangement. And that formal submission requires a form of covenant in which the individual will agree to such submission. And throughout the scriptures, covenant relationships are always formally ratified. And the final reason is just to replicate the biblical motifs of the church. The church in the Bible is depicted as a flock. A flock has shepherds and sheep. It's a perfect motif of leadership and membership. The shepherd does not drive the flock. In the Bible, he leads the flock and he cares for the flock and he regards the flock as being his particular responsibility. Now that's demonstrated amply in Acts 20 and verse 28 where Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. They are placed under the care of an under-shepherd, under Christ, the shepherd of his sheep. And they're placed under this charge by God himself. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 to 3. We are told, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So the church is a flock and the church is a body. And membership is implied in the comparison of the church with the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so it's for those reasons that most evangelicals believe that fellowship with a local church is a proper course of action for every single believer. We are part of a local congregation, which will act as a court in the event of disciplinary proceedings, and we submit ourselves to such church discipline. We should subject ourselves under the leadership of local elders to be watched over and cared for by them. And most evangelicals will argue that the Bible knows nothing of solitary Christians. They are a contradiction, for becoming a Christian brings us into the body of Christ, which is expressed in the union of local bodies of believers. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.